Tonight's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30, and it's on page 834 of your pew Bibles. So Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself, and you will tell me, Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Oh, there you are. Hi, everyone. Hello. There you go. That's better. Hey, my name's Andrew. As has been mentioned before, I'm from Baptist Mission Australia, and it's a great privilege for me to be here tonight because uh, this is an epic church, and I just want to say thank you for your outstanding partnership uh, with Baptist Mission Australia. This is a church that has a heart for local mission but also global mission, and it's a delight for me to be here uh, tonight. I know what it's like actually having a guest speaker. You're just wondering, what's he going to be like? I had a friend who was actually uh, pre- uh, lived in uh, America and he went to an African-American church for a while and he said if the preacher was going really well, you'd hear uh, these murmurs of amen, amen in the congregation and if the preacher was doing really well, uh, shouts of preacher, brother, preacher, brother and if they were going great, somebody would actually walk up to the lectern, smack the lectern and say preach it again and the preacher would preach it again. Uh, But if the preacher wasn't going very well, you'll start to hear these murmurs of, "Mm," and then lordy, lordy, lordy. And then if he he or she was going really bad, you'll hear these cries of, help him, Jesus, help him. (laughs) So I know if I hear any help him, Jesuses tonight, that this is my first and my last time at Nawi Baptist. Uh, But what I want to encourage you and myself tonight is actually, what does it mean to be alongside us? Because one of the challenges we face in something like May Mission Month is that we can actually think that, well, mission is something that happens overseas. Or mission is actually in the hands of a select few, like intercultural workers or pastors or theologians. 
And it's my role to pray, uh, to give money and to support that way. Uh, But I actually want to encourage us tonight to think that what is actually uh, God's calling on our intercultural workers is the same calling that is upon your life and is upon mine. I want for us to think about being spirit-filled followers of Jesus that promote Jesus in word and deed. Spirit-filled that the life of Jesus, love, joy, peace, patience and kindness might be bubbling up in our characters. Jesus focused that our whole life might be about him. In a world where it seems that Christianity is a little bit on the nose, people are a bit sceptical about us, that we will cross that divide by loving people in both word, that we have a message about Jesus to share, but also indeed in practically coming alongside of people to serve them and love them. Is that okay? Because I've got no plan B. That's my only talk. So how about I pray and then we'll jump into this passage and see what God has to say to us tonight. So let's pray. Uh, Loving God and Heavenly Father, I thank you for this community of faith. And I just pray for each and every one of us in this room tonight. God, we just acknowledge the scriptures are breathed by you. And God, I just pray that your Holy Spirit might breathe upon them again and bring them to life, that these words actually might captivate our minds and our hearts, that we might understand uh, Jesus a little bit more uh, better and that we actually might be equipped to live for him in this world. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So if you've got your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter 4 and we'll just work our way through that passage that was actually read out to us. Uh, So Luke's gospel, we know, don't we? It's a story about Jesus, but we also discover the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, So the Holy Spirit is involved in the prophecies about Jesus. Uh, The Holy Spirit is involved in conceiving Jesus in Mary's womb. Uh, The Holy Spirit is involved in the baptism of Jesus. Uh, The Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness where he resists temptation, so he's a leader that we can trust. And here, the Spirit of God releases Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor. Uh, Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread throughout the whole country. He was teaching in the synagogue and everyone praised him. And so we know, don't we, that early on in the ministry of Jesus, there was this wave of popularity. Here was a rabbi who spoke their language. Miracles and healings, hope for a future. Uh, Verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Uh, So local boy done good. In each town and each village there would have been a little synagogue and they would have done what you and I are doing uh, tonight. Uh, They would have worshipped their God, they would have had the scriptures read, Uh, there would have been a talk and they would have had their own version of an after party. And here's Jesus, local boy, done good, and he's on the preaching roster. And he can preach from anywhere in the Old Testament, but he chooses Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, Verse 17, uh, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free, 
to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. With that, he sat down. Uh, In a synagogue, the preacher would uh, sit and the congregation would stand. So let's try that. I'll sit, you stand. Verse 20, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That's it. That's his sermon. One sentence. No wonder he's a popular preacher. Just imagine if his sermon was just one sentence or my sermon was just one sentence. You'd love it, wouldn't you? But think about it. 700 years before the life of Jesus, Isaiah wrote these words. And these words are waiting. Uh, Days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and months turned into years, and years turned into decades, and decades turned into the centuries, waiting and waiting and waiting for somebody to step into these words and fulfill them. And on this day, in this synagogue, Jesus stands up and he says, I am God's prophet, priest and king. I am God's Messiah. I am God's anointed one to preach good news to the poor. This Messiah that you've been longing for, I am he. And notice his mission. I've been sent by God as his servant. I've been anointed by his spirit. My target group are the blind, the oppressed, the slaves, the prisoners. My father has sent me to give sight and to set people free. Uh, Who are the blind? Who are the oppressed? Who are the slaves? Uh, Well, on one level, it's you and it's me. Jesus actually came uh, for people who are spiritually blind, spiritually oppressed, trapped in their sin. And we see that through his life and death and resurrection, he liberates us through grace and restores us to a relationship with God through faith. But Jesus also literally, he literally comes for the blind, for the lame, for the prisoner and for the oppressed. Uh, One of the people that you actually support as a church, Simon and Whittier, they've actually become great friends of mine. Uh, They serve in Southeast Asia. Uh, They're exceptional missiologists. Uh, During COVID, they live in a part of the world that was actually very challenging during COVID. And so they, as a team, they rolled up their sleeves and they thought, how can we serve the people that are in front of us? Uh, They partner with Baptist World Aid. And and they ministered to over 5,000 people on four different islands. Uh, sharing blankets, sharing food, uh, using, uh, uh, using medical care, offering hospitality. Again, last year in the same part of the world, there was an earthquake. Once again, they roll up their sleeves and they seek to come alongside of these people in practical help, serving people with indeed. But you talk to Simon and Whittier and the discussion soon turns to How can we actually seek to love and how can we actually share our faith with these people that we know in such a way that they can understand and respond to? 
Uh, Simon and Whittier predominantly work with people from a Muslim background, but they're moving to another island uh, where people are predominantly from a Hindu background. And, And again, they're just asking this question, how can we help these people make sense out of Jesus? Can you see what Simon and Whittier are doing? They're loving people indeed. They're expressing God's heart for people. But they're also prayerfully seeking opportunities to share their faith in Jesus. You guys are supporting a project in Mozambique. And I just want to share a little story from Sally, who works in that part of the world. Thanks. We've had this Yao friend who has met with a couple of our team members to pray and to read God's word together. Adam has been learning what it means to follow Jesus in his own context and how to live out a faith that is focused on love. As he recognises and receives Christ's love, Adam has been sharing that love with those around him, within his family, his circle of friends and beyond. This weekend he was leaving our property and he heard crying in the long grass by the path. Thinking it was a goat in distress, he started moving through the grass, carefully examining his surrounds. Before him was a shallow hole and in the hole lay a bright, beautiful newborn baby girl, half buried but alive and crying. With none of us at home, Adam carried her to the police and then on to the hospital. There she spent two days swaddled in blankets and being fed formula as she recovered. Adam's wife had six months before given birth to a beautiful girl. She was still breastfeeding and after a meeting with the family, they decided to keep this little girl who had been discarded in the bush. Adam usually travels everywhere by motorbike. For him to be walking this particular path in front of our house on this day was unusual but his motorbike had run out of fuel. It's rainy season and has been particularly wet, yet that night and into the day it did not rain, giving the baby left on the ground a chance of survival. There is no doubt in Adam's mind that this is an opportunity to love, to provide this baby with nurture, with care and a hope for the future. Adam is a person of love and he is responding out of the love he is receiving as he walks this journey of knowing Jesus. No one knows who the mother is, but Adam's response to what has happened is not of ill will towards her, but of concern. And we pray for her in her probable pain, desperation and confusion. Love is contagious, it is tangible and felt. And in John it says to love one another as Christ has loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lays down one's life for one's friends. As we step into spaces here in Mozambique with our Yao friends, we are desperate for them to know this love, to know that Christ laid down his life so that they may live in freedom from fear, in peace, in hope. To see friends like Adam living out this love that he knows and responding to it in such practical ways that are having huge impacts on his community, shows us that the Holy Spirit is alive and active here. He's moving in people's hearts in a very tangible way. It also challenges me to ask, where has God placed me in this community? How can we love those around us well? So please pray for our friends here, especially those who are starting to go on journeys of following Jesus. 
Pray for the impact in their communities as they respond out of the love that they are receiving. May people see Jesus and know him as they experience his love. And thank you so much for your partnership and your prayers. Thank you so much for the love that you are showing us, for the love that you are showing the hour. Thank you. Since recording this video, this dear, precious little girl has passed away. Her time on earth was short, but she received love and care. And now we find comfort knowing she is resting in the fullness of love with Jesus. The love that Adam's family showed her has impacted this community. They speak of Adam as one who has mercy. May we too be willing to love those around us extravagantly. Only God knows what tomorrow will hold. So let's follow his leading today as he gives us opportunities to show his love to those we meet with. I don't know about you, but actually I find uh, that story beautiful and encouraging and heartbreaking at the same time. It's beautiful to hear about Adam and his wife and the transformation that has actually happened to them. Adam comes from a Muslim background and now he's a Yao follower of Jesus. Uh, their extravagant love towards this little one, but the brokenness of actually losing that little child. And as I actually, I think about mission and loving and serving people and coming alongside of people, I think it's exactly like that. It's beautiful and joyful and life-giving, but it's heartbreaking and costly at the same time. Many of us actually only love people to the point of our own comfort. That is, we only love people when it actually sits within our sort of schedule and all the other commitments that we have. But the call of Christ and the call of mission is that we are meant to love those people in our lives, our neighbours, our, our, our student friends, our work colleagues, our support mates, in the same way Christ has loved us. And how did Christ love us? Philippians chapter 2, he entered this world, he became one of us, he took on the nature of a servant and he died on the cross. Literally, he was ripped apart for us. That's meant to be the depth of our love for others. One of the reasons I think we don't actually engage in mission, uh, both locally and even perhaps globally, is just because of the cost of it, because of the challenge of it. It's just too difficult. It's just too hard. Uh, sometimes we actually want to protect our hearts and protect our lives and emotions. C.S. Lewis actually says this. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything in your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket, a coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark and motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. Friends, the call of mission is to be vulnerable. It's to come alongside. It's to actually enter into other people's lives, their joys, 
but also their heartaches. Verse 19, Jesus came to preach the year of the Lord's favour. Uh, put up your hand if you've ever done one of those yearly Bible reading plans where you've read through the Bible in one year. Uh, even if you've done that like on a listening audio Bible, you get to Leviticus and you tend to try, try and speed read through that book because there's just a bunch of laws that don't seem to make all that much sense to you. Uh, but in chapter 25, we have this, the year of the Lord's favour, the year of Jubilee. And what is that? That actually reflects God's heart for this world. Uh, that every 50 years there would be a reset button on this world. That those in prison will be set free. That those who had a debt, that debt would be cancelled. That those who were in slavery, they would be set free. Uh, return everything to its right place. Those people who needed to be forgiven, they would be forgiven. And do you know in the scriptures, this is God's heart for uh, the world. This is God's command for his people. But in the scriptures and in history, there is no evidence of the people of God ever practicing this. This is God's lavish generosity to the world. But we never did it. Why? Maybe we just thought God wasn't serious. Maybe we actually think that those people in prison deserve to be in prison. That those people actually have a debt where they just don't know how to handle their money. They, uh, we, we can't cancel their debt. Those people who needed to be forgiven, well, you can't forgive them because you know what they've done. But this is God's generosity for the world. I don't know about you, but when I watch the news, when I live in my culture, when I walk the streets, when I become a part of my community, I feel now more than ever that this world needs a reset button, does it not? And maybe some of you are in this room here tonight and you guys actually feel like you need a reset button, this year of jubilee in your own lives. And you know, maybe your own relationship with God has it's grown stale and you need to be renewed in your love for him. Maybe there's a broken or a fractured relationship between your spouse or, or one of your kids or a family member or a friend or a brother and sister in Christ and that needs to be restored. This is God's heart for you and this is God's heart for me. Uh, this is a great message, isn't it? That Jesus comes to preach the good news of the poor, uh, this year of Jubilee, to put right everything that is wrong. No wonder he's popular, but I don't know about you. When I listen to a preacher, I don't really care how intelligent they are, I don't care how gifted they are, I don't care how eloquent they are. What I'm actually looking for in a speaker is authenticity. Is there anything in this person's life that actually matches up with their message? Can Jesus do what he claims he says he can do? Well, if you keep on reading in Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke comes across a demon-possessed man in Luke chapter 4, and he heals him. Uh, he has power to set people from spiritual darkness. He comes across a woman who has a fever and is close to death. He heals her. He has power of sickness and death. He comes to a paralyzed man and he heals him. Imagine that this man who's been begging his whole life can now enter the workforce and actually earn money for himself. Imagine the dignity that Jesus gives this man. 
Uh, He says to this same man, your sins are forgiven. Jesus can restore us to a relationship with God. Jesus comes into this world and he puts one life right after another life, after another life, after another life, word and deed coming together. Uh, Verse 22, all spoke well of him and were amazed at these gracious words that came from his lips. Uh, But then Jesus makes a mistake. He makes a mistake that sometimes preachers make and he tells two bad illustrations. He talks about the widow at Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian. Uh, The widow at Zarephath, verse 26, uh, she was a Gentile, she wasn't a Jew, Uh, she wasn't one of God's people. Uh, She was an idol worshipper, she was a heretic and she was poor and she was a woman. And in that culture, she was virtually invisible. She was seen as somebody who was outside of God's favour and outside of God's care and love and grace. And Jesus says, I've come for people like her. Naaman the Syrian. Uh, He was incredibly wealthy, uh, but he was a murderer. He was a killer. He put people into slavery. And like the widow, he wasn't a Jew. And Jesus says, I've come for people like him. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? That Jesus loves the, the Buddhist and the Muslim and the Hindu and the secular Australian just as much as he loves you and he loves me. Do you believe that? Does your life actually reflect that? Uh, We see a rapid change uh, in the room. In in verse 22, it starts off this way. Somebody says, isn't this Joseph's son? Uh, Somebody yells out, yeah, that's right. I used to play soccer with Jesus in the under 10s. Somebody else also yells out, yeah, my my, my sister used to date one of his brothers. Uh, There's a granny up in the uh, back corner and she stands up. uh, uh, The Messiah, the son of God, God's anointed one. No, he's not. I changed his nappy when he was little. He's Joseph's son, the carpenter's kid. Now, verse 28, all, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up and drove him out of the town. They took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. How did that happen? Jesus, who was celebrated and loved and welcomed into Nazareth and into the synagogue, just just moments, minutes before, they were loving him and now they drive him out to this hill and they want to kill him. I've preached some pretty bad sermons in my day. You might be actually thinking, this is one of them, Andrew. But as far as I know, nobody has actually wanted to kill me after one of my talks. What is happening to Jesus? Well, people are actually making up their minds about who he is. Uh, Right at the beginning of my ministry, 28 years ago, I read this uh, quote by John Stott in a book called Basic Christianity. This is what he says. He says, if you read the Bible, you'll see that nobody who ever met Jesus Christ ever had a moderate reaction to him. There are only three reactions to Jesus. You either hated him and wanted to kill him, you were afraid of him and wanted to run away, or you were absolutely smitten by him and tried to give your whole life to him. You either hated him, 
you feared him or you loved him with everything, everything that you had. Do you know what I think is the greatest hindrance to the mission of God today? It's not that we live in a world that is changing at a mind-boggling rate and we just can't keep up with it and we don't know our place in it. That's challenging, right? But it's not that. It's not that our culture, in a sense, is becoming more and more secular and it seems to be moving further and further away from Christianity and it seems in some ways it's harder and harder for us to actually live out our faith and share our faith with others. That's challenging, but it's not that. Do you know what I reckon the greatest challenge to the mission of God today is? It's that the people of God only have a moderate response to Jesus. And friends, that, that will not do. I was driving down here this morning. I live in uh, Thornley, and so I was driving down. I spoke at the two morning services, and I was uh, just praying through this talk. Don't worry, I had my eyes open, <laughs> but I was thinking through this talk, and I got to this part of the talk, and I thought about this moderate response to Jesus, but then I thought, actually, that's often true of myself. Often my heart for Jesus isn't where it needs to be. And my heart for people and the way that I love people in Jesus' name isn't what it should be. I love verse 30. I don't know how Jesus did this. Uh, But he actually just walks through the crowd and went on his way. Uh, Jesus will die, but he won't die today. And what does he do? He goes into the next town and the next synagogue and preaches the good news and gives sight to the blind and he heals the sick. And he goes into the next town and preaches the good news in the synagogue and gives sight to the blind and he heals the sick. And he is relentless day after day after day. He seeks to bring good news in both word and deed into people's lives. You know, here in Nazareth, they actually want to kill him. Uh, But in Capernaum, they love him. There's a glut of miracles in Capernaum. Uh, Everybody actually responds to him in faith. They actually literally hug him and want to hold on to him. But Jesus says in verse 43, he says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns also because that is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. You know, sometimes we can be obsessed or actually kind of discouraged or put off from mission because of the response that we get from others. But Jesus isn't worried about that. Regardless of how people respond to him, he continues day after day after day, week after week after week, loving people in both word and in deed. Friends, the mission of God, the mission of God is never left in the hands of the few. It's never been in the hands of missionaries or pastors or theologians. The mission of God has always worked in the hands of ordinary men and women like you and like me. In Isaiah chapter 61, the passage that Jesus actually read from uh, all those years ago, there's a verse that Jesus didn't read on that day, but it says this. 
It says you, this is you and me, you will be called priests of the Lord, you will be named ministers of our God. What does that mean? New Testament language. Spirit-filled, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the life of Jesus bubbling up in our character. People who love Jesus with heart, mind and soul. And every day and every week seek to advance Jesus and proclaim him in both word and in deed. Do you know what tomorrow is? Do you? Tomorrow is the best day of your life. Because you get the opportunity to live for Jesus. Amen? No, 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 that won't do. Amen? You're getting there. Allow me to pray for you. Loving God and Heavenly Father, I just thank you for Jesus. God, we sing these songs about Jesus and um, it's true in our hearts that we love him and we serve him, but, you know, often actually... Often actually we're just really busy with a whole bunch of other things that actually distract us from uh, the mission that you've actually called us to. God, I pray that you'll continue to do that good work in our lives of the Spirit of God uh, dwelling within us, changing us from the inside out into the likeness of Christ. Help us to be the aroma of Christ in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighbourhoods, in our families, in our sporting groups. God, give us the courage to sacrificially love people indeed, coming alongside of people and entering into their worlds. And Holy Spirit, give us those opportunities to actually boldly actually speak about Jesus in a way that makes sense uh, to our friends and our family and our neighbours. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.